Hey friends, welcome back to Basically Experts. I am Leah. I am an expert in running, cycling, coaching running, and I can blow bubbles with bubble gum. <laughs> and I'm Lori. <laughs> Coming to you from my couch in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I am watching a muted version of Dancing with the Stars. Oh my gosh. Is that just on every Monday or is that like yeah. your podcast background? No, it's, it's on every Monday. Oh, how nice. That's very consistent. <laughs> I, I like it. I still have never watched an episode, but. And I'm Lori. I am an expert in performance, nutrition, training, Instagram-ish, and I am coming to you from my bed in Minnesota. And she can't blow bubbles. I can't. I can't whistle either. <laughs> I'm talentless. Literally talentless. It's sad. I specific my 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 extra random talent this week was specifically put in there so I could pick on Lori because I just found out that she can't blow bubbles with gum. Well, because you have to chew that kind of gum that's like so sugary and it's like such a big volume of it that's like really disgusting. It's gross. False. That's false. I'm clearly more of a gum expert than you because you can blow (laughs) bubbles with a piece of extra. You just have to have bubble blowing skills. Okay. Well then. I am going to I'm going to take my expertise away from gum chewing and blowing and put it into the podcast to give our listeners some great advice. Some actual valuable content. Let's <laughs> dig right into it. What have we oh got? Oh my this gosh. Week? We've got some good stuff. Awesome. I, okay, so this is our second episode. Thanks so much for tuning back in with us. Um, we are doing this like you just heard from our own homes. We don't have any special equipment, so bear with us. I'm sure we'll get a little better with each episode um, because we're definitely experts in some things, but podcasting, we're still newbies at that. So yeah, follow along, bear with us. Definitely here to improve and while we are experts as well in many topics this advice is not meant to treat or diagnose anyone so remember we are each available for individual coaching and training but we're going to try to help you out on this podcast but you know yeah we're also going to have some fun with it we absolutely are and i have to tell you i don't know if this will wear off i mean since we're on <laughs> week 2 but I get pretty excited when we get feedback. When I get questions, I'm like, oh, somebody listened and they wrote questions. So thank you. I know it's great. It's, <laughs> it's been a good first week. I'm into it. Well, especially when it's somebody that I don't know at all. Because I'm just like, I know I have some friends who are going to like, just to be supportive, send in questions. So when I'm just seeing a question, I'm like, I don't know this person. This is amazing. Yeah. Small things. The little things. You're basically a superstar now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm basically famous. So let's just go ahead and dig into these questions, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, I will take the first one. And it says, hey, running friends. Hello. I used to run daily for years. However, life happened and I just stopped. It's been a few years and I want to add running back to my life, but it feels so hard and slow. Any tips for getting through this mental hurdle of starting over and rebuilding help me get out of my head? Thanks. So, Leah, I'm going to ask, like, what's the longest break that you've ever taken? <laughs> um, two and a half years. <laughs> that's a long time. It's a long time. So, and that's why I love this question because I... I took a two and a half year break after, like after I ran in college and then I started doing marathons and I was getting, like, I had the idea that maybe I could run sort of fast, but I also went through a bit of a party phase. And I think that I just happened to, I was like, I'm going to train really hard for the Boston Marathon. I qualified for the Boston Marathon in the first marathon I ran. And so I was like, I'm going to run Boston and then I'm going to take a month off because I had run cross-country, indoor track, outdoor track, all through college. So I never had, I never had, you know, really an off season. I might take a week or two weeks between seasons, but between, you know, disciplines, but I never, I trained all through the summer preparing for cross-country, cross-country ended it in like you'd have 
Christmas and then start training immediately again for indoor track, indoor track would end and you were already in outdoor track. So I just never really took a break. And I just started to get a little bit burnt out. Just, I think I wasn't quite mentally, emotionally mature enough at that time to do the training I was trying to do, or I just wasn't ready, or I just needed to party, whatever the reason was. I said I was going to take a month off after Boston and that month turned into two and a half years. It wasn't that I didn't run at all during those two and a half years, but it was when I did run, it was sporadic. Um, it, I didn't do a lot. Um, and I think I had gotten to a point and I'm going to try to not go off the rails with a long story, but what made me sort of burn out is I was trying to build uh, these big mileage weeks and it got to the point that it's like if I tried to take a nap in the middle of the day or if I got to bed late I would dream about not waking up and getting my run in and I think that happens to everybody sometimes but it was enough like it was such a stress like even if I took one day off during the week it was like okay well god forbid this week is 10 miles less than last week so if I take a day off where am I going to put those miles and it was just it was a bit much. So when I did finally start getting back into it, and this is, you know, now I'm relating this back to the question. I went, no watch, just, just go and run. Because I think once, like, of course, if you're actually training towards specific goals, you need to have some data and you need to have your time. But when you're just getting started, you don't need to put pressure on yourself to run a certain distance to run a certain time, to run a certain pace. It's just enjoying it and remembering, you know, what you loved about running. Um, so I just and went just for- getting your body like back used to the feel of running because it's high yeah. impact. It's a hard activity. Even if you have been active at anything else really, doesn't necessarily translate into running. So it can feel really hard to get started again. Like even a fit person can go for a run, you know, so many cyclists will be like, Oh man, I ran a mile and it was like the hardest thing ever. Right. Like it, it takes a little bit of just like feeling it out. And yeah, I think your point of just enjoying it is really important. And I mean, of course it, it all is a bit dependent to on what your end game is. Is it that you need to be more active for health, whether that be weight or just movement you need your for your joints or are you actually looking to race but I think regardless like even um now I've been back running but I took I didn't take time off of activity but in the two years I was pro cycling I didn't run because it was counterproductive I wasn't willing to risk any sort of possible injury that might have come from running my full commitment was a cycling so I still had fitness, but I hadn't run in a long time. And when I started back, I just wanted to get back into going out and doing some form of activity that wasn't on the bike, just to not burn out on the bike. So I would just go and walk. And eventually it was just like, well, I don't even remember if it started one day because I was in a hurry or if I just kind of felt like jogging and like, I'm just going to jog a couple of blocks. And then pretty soon, like it wasn't, I wasn't timing it but I'd just do a little bit of jog. And then it just gra gradually built up to, I was doing more jogging than walking. And I think that's an easy way. If you're intimidated about the discomfort of running, or if you haven't, or easing into it by just integrating little bits of running into a walk. Do you know, I hate or walking. <laughs> like, I, I hate to go for a walk. Most runners do, I think. Like, I, yeah. I really dislike it. I mean, I feel like why I'm this – people hate walking with me, too, because I'm so slow. And I don't know how <laughs> – like, I'm, I'm, like, a decent runner. But when it comes to walking, I'm just, like, my legs don't want to do it. I get so grumpy. Like, why are we doing this? We could be running. We yeah. could be cycling. Yeah. Walking yeah. is not I for me. I have a hard time – I have a hard time walking here. Like when I lived in Spain, because that town was so, it was so cute and charismatic. And maybe if I'd grown up there, I wouldn't have thought so. But so I think was... that's like a really important thing too, is like a good way to ease back. Don't just take yourself out on the street or to a track, like go somewhere cool. If you're just trying to get back into it, like go run, go drive yourself to a cool part of the bike path or trail or like, 
out in some nature area where you can really enjoy it. Or have a destination. Yeah. Or just, you know, I mean, I know not everybody lives walking distance from anything, but even if you're just like, okay, I want to go get a coffee. Well, I don't live near a town, but you can park a mile away from the coffee shop or a half mile or however far and just walk to the coffee shop and meet your friend or that is one of my favorite things to do when I'm traveling is like pick out a coffee shop and like run there. I think it's so much fun. Absolutely. So yeah, that's great. Use whatever incentive you have to use for yourself. Maybe it's like buying new running gear. Maybe it's a destination. Maybe it's going somewhere cool. But like the point is just like whatever goal it takes you just to get back into it without focusing on, without getting like, over consumed by the pace because the pace is going to be slow for a bit that's normal you're going to feel sore for a bit that's normal it just takes consistency and time so like whatever it takes you to have that consistency and build it up to a point where you feel good and then it's going to be a habit and once something's a habit like you're you're going to be fine and I think being patient with yourself and just not expecting too much you know it it some days even if you just think like the thought of okay I need to commit to whatever amount or it's not worth suiting up I think there's there's a rule for if you just need to get yourself out the door even if you just say okay I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go jog walk whatever it is five minutes and if at that point I'm just over it or I'm not feeling it or it feels too challenging you can turn around and go back and you did 10 minutes and the next day maybe you'll do 15 but I think you uh, oftentimes, once you get that first five minutes in, you'll want to do more. Absolutely. Like getting out the door is the hardest part. Yeah. Like just that mind conversation of, oh, do I need to do this? I don't really want to do this. But like once you put your shoes on and just start going, like most of the time you're going to feel good about it. And I think setting some short and long-term goals. And that doesn't, it can be. An event, and I i mean, yes, I, I do mean a race, but you don't, that doesn't mean that you have to go there thinking, well, I need to place in my age group. It's just sometimes having, uh, the only competition needs, like you, you, can, you can be the only competition. Right now is actually a really great and, time for that because there's so many virtual races. So you're really competing with yourself. Like you're signing up, you have a goal, yeah. you're, you're involved, you're probably going to get a medal or a t-shirt or whatever sent to you. But you're in it to do it because you want to do it, not because, like, you're competing against a crowd. Yeah. But just sometimes having that mark on your calendar of something you're going to go and complete helps with tracking progress and not, you know, not falling away from – helps to develop a pattern if you have something you're working towards. And it doesn't have to matter what – pace you're going to go just saying well I need to get to where I can finish a 5k or I can finish a half marathon it just helps to have long-term goals I think yeah agreed all right I think that was pretty good yeah sufficiently answered okay so the next question is I see you and I'm gonna assume they're talking about me on this one but I see you posting photos <laughs> of pre-run meals on Instagram and wonder how do you eat before a run? If I eat before running, I feel so heavy or too full and I just can't do it. Help. Because I post a lot of yeah, my is- pre-run <laughs> meals on Instagram. I just post I a lot say, of everything once on Instagram. You got into, once you got into reading the question, yes, that was definitely towards you because I I don't know if I've ever posted a pre-run meal (laughs) yeah so I mean and I like to post the pre-run meals for this exact reason because I know Mm -hmm. so many runners struggle with not eating enough beforehand and it's so helpful to like actually fuel your body before you go out and run And you don't need to do that for every run. Like there's always those early morning runs where you wake up, you're doing a short run, you know, like four miles, it's 30 minutes or 40 minutes, whatever your pace is. And, you know, you can get through that without having like a big meal. But if you're running a little later in the morning or later in the day, you're doing a longer effort, like it's really important to fuel and to have some energy in your tank before going out. 
So I think part of this answer like really goes hand in hand with the last question of you have to train your body. Like it's never going to feel good if you just like stepped out the door and tried to run 10 miles and you've only been at one mile, like that's not going to go super well. And if you are used to running on absolutely nothing or just water and then you try to eat like, you know, some big bacon, egg, bagel breakfast and then go out and run, that's not going to go well. Like you really have to work up to it. And when I first started running, I would have a sugar-free Red Bull and I would go run for way too long without any fuel. And I just at that time, like didn't better, didn't know how what kind of damage I was doing to my body and how I was holding back my performance, but I did have to like work up to it. So then it was like a gel or a banana before a run. And now, and I've done so many like ultra runs and, you know, long distance treks that I have had to stop on a run and train my body to eat a full sandwich or eat trail mix, like in the middle of a 20 some miler, because I knew I needed to be able to do that you know, in, in practice, like in real life. So the big thing is like, work your way up to it. So if you're someone who doesn't eat at all, you know, start with just a few bites of a banana or a glass of orange juice, and then work your way up to something simple, like, you know, toast or a bowl of cereal, not like a big fiber bowl, but you know, cornflakes or whatever with some milk or almond milk, if milk is too much for you beforehand, But it really just takes that consistency of doing it, you know, every time you go to run or most of the time before you go run and then start by eating like small bites and working your way up and also try to eat further, you know, beforehand. So if you can give yourself, you know, an hour, two hours before running, that works really well for most people. Now I'm to the point where I can have a bite usually like 20 minutes before I can like cram a bagel and head out and absolutely feel fine. Um, But it just takes that time to train your gut to get used to tolerating food and running. Right. And as with a lot of things here, (laughs) I feel like, like, yes, in a perfect world, you would want to fuel before any run, even if it's just an hour or whatever. Um, but I do realize from my own life experience and, and that a lot of people don't, like if your stomach really doesn't tolerate a lot of food or if you just prefer to just do gels because they're easy and they're simple. And most days, if you're doing an hour or less, you know, you get up before and you're training before work, it's, of course you can get through your training with little to no calories, but I think like something that people who are going to be doing any type of endurance, even if you don't feel like you need food, when you get into the longer, just like Lori was saying, you have to train your body so that on the occasions when you do need it, it won't cause issues. Like I don't ever really feel like if I'm going to do an hour long run in the morning, I can make it through it without So I'm going to say but I just that really does depend on like the endurance is part of it. So if you're going out for two hours, definitely you're going to want to fuel more than if you're going out for 40 minutes. But also I would say if you have any type of performance goal, you should be fueling beforehand because even if you're doing 40 yeah. minutes and it is like involves, you know, a 5k at race pace or like crazy intervals, you're not going to be able to do your best if your, you know, last meal was 10 hours ago the night before and you're just waking up on empty and going out and trying to do that because that intensity takes a lot of energy. So, you know, any type of performance goal, and even if it's not fueling for that run right then, that fuel still takes you into the next day and the next day. Like you're never just doing something for that immediate, you know, next workout when it comes to performance, your habits carry over. So if you're underfueled for one run, right. you're putting yourself in a hole for the next run and the next run. And you have to like learn then to like, you're putting yourself in a bad place that you have to come out of instead of just going in it at a good place. So, you know, for the runners who say like they can't, they feel like they can't eat beforehand you can. You absolutely can eat beforehand. You just have to 
train yourself and take it slow, be consistent and, you know, find what works for you. And that might be a bit of experimentation, whether it's gels, chews, orange juice, bananas, cereal, toast, you know, whatever it might be, but like work your way up. Don't just start and like try to have this full meal and then 30 minutes later go run because that's probably not going to go super well. Um, but yeah, just, just work it up slowly. Do you, what's your favorite thing to eat before a run? Well, I am, and I guess one thing I just wanted to add to that is exactly to your point of if you have any performance goals, because I feel like if there's, if somebody doesn't, if, if you're not ever doing any intensity, you don't do anything very long, they might think it's not necessary, but the people who maybe once or twice a week, you're doing intensity and maybe on the weekend you do a super long run. Well, you, you're setting yourself up to have issues running with food if you never do it on any of the other yeah, days. Yeah, absolutely. So just getting your body used to it. But um, that said, yeah, I am, I really am pretty, if I'm not doing anything of high volume, like when I would do marathons, it was always oatmeal. Race day breakfast was always oatmeal with honey. Um, that was my go-to all, I don't know if I, it's been a long time now. I don't know if I ever ate anything else, but that's all I ever remember eating. Um, because I knew, I, I just, I knew, I don't have a very picky stomach, but I never wanted to take chances on a race day. So I just found something that I liked enough and that worked well for me and I stuck with it. But as far as just basic day-to-day training, um, I keep it really simple. I don't mostly because I'm getting up and I'm going really early and I don't want to eat right before I run. And I just don't have the time allotment in my schedule unless I want to get up at four 30, which I don't to eat and give it time. And I, and I know that I actually, my stomach won't bother me. I could eat, I could probably eat a sandwich, honestly, if I was just going for an easy run and I could go and run immediately. But I've had times in the past where maybe it was after work and I was doing a second run and I was so hungry, like, because it was, you know, it had been some hours since lunch and I wasn't, I wanted to run before dinner. So I would have a snack. And if you've, if you've just eaten and the food is, you know, the blood is from your muscles, like every, the energy in your body is focused on processing that food, then your legs might feel like junk. So I tend to just do gels and chews. (laughs) With my with my day to day runs, I know that's boring and lame, but that's that that's what works. But yeah, for me, it serves a purpose and it works with your schedule, yeah. and it still gives you you know it's better than having nothing. So I think that's totally valid. Right. I right now have the luxury yeah. of having a little bit more freedom in my schedule in the morning, so I've been trying to make a point to like eat before most runs, especially since I'm building my mileage up a little bit right now. So I've definitely been doing like a bowl of cereal and a glass of orange juice or um, a bagel is a go-to sometimes with like a thin spread of honey or nut butter or cream cheese but even a plain bagel works pretty well for me Um, but I don't really have to give it too much time it's usually like 30 minutes and I'm out the door yeah what would be your favorite bike snack like either pre-bike or like if you could pick anywhere any ride like any like your cafe if you stop on if you're on a coffee ride and you stop and you're not just getting coffee what's your favorite thing to find that the place you've stopped Ooh, that's rough so I'm gluten-free so that makes it like really tough for a lot of stops but when I was riding years ago in Tucson we stopped at this and I can't even remember it was this coffee shop like in a strip mall It seemed really weird, but they had this counter full of desserts and they had rice pudding and I love rice pudding and it was just like cold and creamy in the desert heat and it was so delicious. So yeah, that was amazing. That's so funny because I've always thought in my mind of rice pudding as being like a Midwestern I guess because I had it growing up and then I just don't feel like I've seen rice pudding since I moved away from Minnesota. So in my mind, when you're saying, I'm like, I'm like, isn't it just a Northern thing, but it's not. No, and I haven't lived in Minnesota that long. So I actually started eating rice pudding and I would buy like the stuff from the supermarket 
before cycling races like years ago because it's such an easy way to get a high volume like I can sit there and like have a spoon and really get a lot of it in I usually like put a banana on it yeah because for cycling you know you're it's easier to eat beforehand so I typically eat a lot more so I would get like a big tub of rice pudding and just try to devour like my goal before a long ride or a race was like eat as much of it as I can stomach um but yeah the rice pudding was a good find for sure do you know what it used to be actually my thing when I first before my I started this before my first marathon because it used to drive me a little bit crazy in college that and I mean I guess it's kind of pervasively just in life but people just think like, I have to have pasta. And it's like, no, it's just carbs. It's just a good complex source of carbs, but people get in their routine. So I shouldn't hate on it. But I was just always like, if this place has baked potatoes or sweet potatoes, like it's so much better. But I just decided if I was going to have a thing, if I was going to have a routine that I was going to be as obsessive about as everybody else seemed to be about their pasta then I was going to make it a time that I had a great excuse to enjoy something really good. So my go-to night before a marathon was chocolate cake and a glass of red wine. I mean, I had a meal too. That's so funny. I would do a glass of red wine as well. And my go-to before, like I am so strict about this, is a pizza. I will order out a pizza, a gluten-free pizza, (laughs) and I will like eat the whole thing like my goal is I am eating this entire pizza I don't care if I'm at a hotel somewhere like I will plan that pizza place out in advance I know exactly what I'm ordering where I'm getting it from like I love my pre-race pizza yeah it's fun if you're gonna have a routine make it something that's fun for you. I have a post-marathon like, routine you you as need. well and what it's that? a burger and a milkshake Oh, I'm definitely a beer. Beer me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get a reputation of being a total alcoholic. On Wine, chocolate, cake, you know and what? beer. I don't know how you're so fast. <laughs> yeah. And, well, no, I mean, I just love a cold no, beer after sounds, a hot Yeah, time. totally. Oh, I get it. I'm the same, like, but a milkshake, and I will be, like, the last mile of that race. I know exactly where I'm going. I've got it all picked out. I can, like, visualize it. And I... It makes me really happy. Yeah. There's this place called Sal and Mookie's. It's literally ice cream and pizza. And after this one really terrible marathon, well, it was terrible. For, like, I got so dehydrated. I had two liters of IV afterwards and I didn't, I didn't have to pee for like five hours, even after two oh my liters gosh. of IV. That's how bad a shape I was in. But once I finally came back to life after a fat nap, we went to this place, Sal and Mookie's, and <laughs> my friend Dan, he he was just like, we're going to order ice cream, and then we're going to order pizza, and then we're going to have more <laughs> ice cream, and he did. I, That's I, impressive. I think I went with ice cream on one end or the other. It was, but I mean, it was just, and I don't even know, I don't remember how much of any of the things he ate, but it was just like, this is happening it's it's going down we threw down there but you would love that place if it's except who knows if they're oh i'll have to check it out because it sounds great this was years ago you have to yeah okay i think we definitely answered that one as well as got sufficiently off track (laughs) so hey we're doing good so far (laughs) that's That's what what we do (laughs) oh my goodness okay um I'm looking for the next question because I, my computer, I have this all like typed out and like, so I won't lose these questions, but my internet has been really slow lately. So I'm trying to scroll. Mine too. I wonder if it's like a pandemic thing or like what, because I swear lately it's just kind of been in and out. We have good internet and it's like, I don't know, the last couple of weeks. Very, yeah, right. I guess I shouldn't make COVID jokes. I don't know if it's too soon. Um, Okay. So, all right, here's the next one. Hey, guys, I follow you both on Instagram. Thank you. And I'm so excited to get your input. I want to ride bikes because I've been so inspired by seeing so many women 
riding bikes during this pandemic and I want to buy a bike. Well, hell yeah, what a great idea. I'm relatively fit and I want to become a, air quotes, real cyclist. What should I look for when buying a new bike and how much do I really have to spend? There's a lot here. Yay. Like I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> okay, first, let's let's go on a little mini tangent. What was your first like real bike? Yeah, like As the first adult? bike you like actually did like a group ride on or like started training with. It was a um, Cannondale. Well, because I mean, this wasn't, this was just 2015. <laughs> so it wasn't, it's not like going to be something super funny. It was a Cannondale. Um, crap, I can't think of what it's called. I should, I could go look at it. It's hanging in the garage. I ended up breaking the fork on it and it was my Zwift bike. I was going to say, you still have years. it. That's impressive. Um, yeah. Well, because once I, broke it then I just made it into like the fork was cracked so it wasn't mm. safe for the road but that way I could have a Zwifting dedicated bike and not have to like worry about ruining oh the that's the same that I have on my trainer right now is a previously yeah. broken carbon bike but I'll tell you how complicated I see here's something where I think Lori and I are, are a bit different I don't enjoy shopping um I love like, shopping and, online and with you and I don't like to send <laughs> like, you send a photo of yeah because well, I'll be like hey Lori send me somewhere yeah send me a photo of something and I'll be like I need shoes she'll give me a website and like 30 minutes later I'm like okay I just ordered five pairs of shoes I'm done I don't I, I probably because I know I will go down a giant rabbit hole it's, wait synops is that was that a bike oh yeah that's like the women's specific one so I, yeah yeah so uh, literally I went into the bike shop and I knew this bike shop doesn't exist anymore, but one of the guys who I think he was a partner, he didn't work there, but uh, he knew enough, he knew more about bikes than I did. And he was like, I can make you a great deal on this bike. And I said, great, I will take that bike. That's how my bike shopping went. Like, I don't want to be confused by trying on 50 different bikes. I don't want you to give me 25 different types of gear ratios and what type of components. I just want you to be like, this is good. Here's why. See if you think it's comfortable. I get on it. Yay. Feels great. Oh gosh. Yeah. I took a very different approach. (laughs) Like, and I started riding like many, many years before I was like racing, like for fun. And I did some triathlon, but my, the first bike I ever had that I like actually took to a group ride and decided like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to like be a air quote real cyclist was a Walmart road bike, like the only road version of a bike that they sell. It was like $150. I thought it was like a real bike at the time. Like I had no idea. And I rode it like with sneakers, the whole, you know, it was so embarrassing now, like thinking back, but doing that and like riding that bike in group rides and everything made me go find like an actual real bike. And I went to many stores and test rode many bikes. And I like, I had no idea what I was really looking for. I had no idea what gears were. I had no idea like what the right fit was, but I finally like landed on one that just felt good. Like I was just riding them to be like, what feels like something I can actually ride. And it was a Cannondale CAD eight. And I really enjoyed that bike. I didn't have it for too long, um, but I did like it. Yeah. Well, and I think to the point of our very different experiences, I don't, there, I don't think there, uh, there's all kinds of air quotes again, rules when it comes to cycling. But the truth of the matter is there's not a wrong way like if you want to be a real cyclist, you want to get a real bike. So go to a local bike shop. Don't go to Walmart. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, or you can buy used, but ask, ask questions, ask as many questions as you want. For me, that was, <laughs> will this do what I wanted to do? Which is at the time I wanted to complete a hundred miler. I wanted to be able to go out and ride day to day. Go talk to people in the, your community who ride, because trust me, most of them have an oh, opinion yes. and they will be absolutely more than happy to share it with you. But especially, so talk to someone who is an expert. I mean, we are experts of our own sort. We have experience, but 
it's very personal what one person is going to love. I mean, as you, if you're new to cycling, as you get into it, you will find that people tend to be very loyal Mm -hmm. and very opinionated that what they are riding is the best. Um, But I will, for example, and if you're new to cycling and you, you might not know any of these brands or what I'm talking about, and that's okay. But when it comes to components, you know, Shimano versus Campagnolo versus SRAM. Well, I have ridden SRAM and I've ridden Shimano Altegra and I love them both. People will bash one or the other and say one or the other is. Yeah, honestly, it's whatever you get get used to. Like, I mean, and and once you're riding like at the pro level, it's whatever the mechanic hands you or it's whatever your team hands you, right? Like sometimes (laughs) you don't get to choose. So it's just like you better deal with this and you deal with it and it's fine. Like and and I think. I think a few keys in this question is like one, the real cyclist. So that, that tells me that you have goals of performing or doing group rides or something. Um, so again, yeah, definitely you want to, you want to go for like an intermediate if you can, um, you know, expense wise, don't just go for like the Walmart bike. Cause you'll blow through that like so quick. It's not worth it. Um, and also like what, kind of riding are you doing are you doing gravel are you doing distance are you doing crits you know because all of that is going to be a different bike a different feel and you're going to be looking for just a different fit in general right but I think if you're entry level because even I mean when you say you want to be a real cyclist that can have so many meanings. And maybe to you, a real cyclist means you want to be able to go and hang on the local group ride. Maybe not even the fastest local group ride. You just want to be able to meet up with that big group of people you see riding every Saturday and you bet they're going about 50 miles. That to you is a real cyclist. Maybe you, you want to go pro. It does. I don't know, but I think for an entry level bike, and again, like Lori said, it depends too if you're doing mountain gravel crits, but I'm going to work for a minute on the assumption that maybe you're just talking about a basic road bike because I think a lot of people hear, Oh, this guy spent more on his bike than his car. And that is possible. My bike is more than my car. Probably for sure. Like absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. A cheaper or a used car, but you can spend, you can spend over 10 grand. But my first bike was, I remember (laughs) it was $1,100. I thought it was insane. At the time it was like a full paycheck I was right out of college and I had no idea that like you couldn't, it didn't come with pedals like the clip in. So I couldn't, I didn't ride it for two weeks because I was like, no, I'm doing this correctly. I have to wait until my next paycheck so I can buy pedals. So keep that in mind. Like the real cyclist is more than the bike. It is the shoes, the pedals, the kit, the helmet, like cycling, there's a lot of components so, you know, factor in more than just the bike. And that's going to tell you too, like how much you really have to spend. But my, yeah, my first bike, I mean, with prior to pedals, but, but other than pedals and helmet and those kind of things like bike itself. And I did get a good deal. Like I said, when my friend said, I can get you a good deal on this bike, I was like, I'll take that bike. But I got it for just over $800, which was a really good deal. But the point is, you right. Don't and if I was still riding that bike, like it was very sufficient to do what I needed it to do. Like I definitely felt yeah. like I was a real cyclist. I could go fast. I was training and you know, that was a great bike. So I feel like that thousand dollars, I mean, that was talking like many moons ago. So I don't know what that is in today's money, but I'm sure there's more competition in the bike world. Like, yeah, right around that thousand dollar mark is kind of like where you can get a a good, decent entry level bike. And then you can also kind of find what you enjoy in cycling and like what components you need. If you're going to be a climber, then you're going to want something a little lighter. If you're going to do like if you're in flat terrain, you might want something a little like stiffer So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't go, like, too all-in too fast because, I mean, I have gone through many, many bikes, and they've all had, like, things that I loved and things that maybe I would change a little bit, and then, you know, depending on what style I'm riding at the time. Right. 
And to the, you said something about going too much too fast or I don't know, but I'm circling back to something you said earlier. I'm trying to tie it in. It's kind of working, kind of not, but clip in pedals. Don't feel like, I mean, yes, ultimately 100% because it makes you feel like a real cyclist, but also it's honestly just more efficient once you're comfortable on the bike. But if you're brand new to cycling, don't feel like you have to go with clipless pedals, which clipless is actually clip in. It's very confusing. There's nothing wrong with getting comfortable on the bike on platform pedals. Like you'll look back at yourself and laugh at yourself and call yourself a Fred, but start where you're comfortable. Maybe it's two, maybe it's two or three rides on flat pedals, but if you're brand new to cycling, don't feel like you have to go attach yourself to the pedals on your first ride. I wore flat pedals for probably two months. I went and I rode this 100K event, this Fondo, with my flat pedals. I didn't understand because I was already really strong. I just was new to it. And I didn't understand why this pace line of people like, didn't <laughs> want me in their pace line. <laughs> and when I got done, I was just like, I kept off. I was trying to pull. I would go to the front to pull. And I mean, we were riding like 22, 23 miles an hour because I was strong. So I was like, hey, do you guys mind if I join in? And they kind of looked at me weird. And I would get on the front. And I was just like, maybe they think I'm trying to be a wheel sucker. So I'm going to do a bunch of work. And I'd be on the front. And suddenly I'd look back and they were just gone. I mean, like, they would let me ride away. And so here they'd come. I'd try to get back in. I was like, why didn't they want to That's work with me? That's so funny. It's so funny, like, platform the things you realize, like, looking back. And, like, <laughs> that you had were totally clueless about when you, like, started yeah. the sport. But cycling is so elitist in a way of, like... I mean, I know that I do the same thing now. I will yeah. pick out the person who looks like they don't know what they're doing and I want to stay far away from them in the group or the race. Like that sketchy person, don't come near me. But at one time, like I was definitely the sketchy person. You were definitely the sketchy person. Like, yeah, you were the person. I was the person in sneakers on a Walmart bike showing up to the ride who like had no clue that bibs were a thing or like Oh my gosh, do you want to hear the most ridiculous story? So speaking no, no. I don't know how people do that. Like, okay, <laughs> if we teach you anything on this podcast, do not wear underwear <laughs> under your bibs. Like, don't do it. No. No. Bibs are made to be yeah. worn. No, this is okay. So I again didn't know anything. I got a bike in Florida because I wanted to start riding to the beach, which was like 20 miles from where I lived. And it was just a great flat ride. I was sick of being a gym rat. And I was just buying the things that I saw, like pictures in magazines that like bikes had. Like I had no idea what anything was actually for. I didn't know how to fix a tire. So I bought a saddlebag, but I didn't understand what went in there. So I would shove my bikini in there. And I would ride to the beach and change and, like, sit at the beach for an hour or two and then, like, change and ride back and shove my bikini back in the saddlebag. So please tell me that one day then you got a flat and someone pulled it over and you're like, do you have a tube? And you're like, no, but I, I did have to walk seven miles home once because I had a flat and I had no idea what to do. And I didn't have anything. And after that point, I learned. But, yeah, it's it was definitely, like, a slow learning experience because I just had no idea. Yeah. That's hilarious. So, yeah, I think just kind of circle back and sum up that question. Um, take as much time and look at as many options as you feel like you want to, whether yeah. that's one and read 20. reviews. Like, um, but I think talk to somebody. Yeah. Read reviews, but also realize it might that. It, yeah. Yeah. There's lots of good options out there. There's a, I mean, look within, I would say too, like look within your yeah. budget and then like narrow it down first, like, cause there's a lot of bikes yeah. out there. So like pick your range of spending and then just like do a deep dive into okay. those bikes and see what's going to fit you the best. Because sometimes like you, you bought a women's bike first and the women's specific bikes do not work at all for me. I can't do it. So depending on your body, um, whether you're a woman or not, like they just fit different bodies differently. And, you know, so it's just really comes down to like price and fit. And then 
once those things are figured out, then you can get into the details of like the weight and the gear ratios and whatever electronic shifting or whatever you want. And, and honestly, if it's in your budget and I do realize in saying this, yeah, bike cycling is expensive. Gear is expensive. Bikes are expensive. But if it's in your budget, like if, if you're the person who's no sweat buying a $4,000 bike, then spend the money and get a professional fit. It is worth it. It's, I mean, a good professional fit, you can get an advised fit free to cheap, but like a good professional fits probably around $200, but it will be so worth it for how much better your comfort will be on the bike. So like I said, I know that's not in everyone's budget. Some people have to do it the way of, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to adjust it. I'm going to try this. And that will work. But if you can afford it, I highly recommend investing in a fit. Yeah. Great. Good advice. That's it. <laughs> so um, I think we, have we should tackle one, one more? more. Why not? Sorry, listeners. Hopefully you're not getting okay. super bored with us yet. But got? we've got one more. And if you have <laughs> your questions, definitely send them to us. Um, you know, if we're not tackling exactly what you wanted to hear, you have a question that pops into your head while you're listening, send us a quick DM on Instagram. You can send it to at basically experts pod on Instagram, or you can DM us individually, which is also totally fine. Um, Cause we are definitely having Sorry. someone just DMs. <laughs> Leah questions. <laughs> Um, yeah we're definitely having fun like getting these questions and going through them so it's great um okay so this last one what are your thoughts oh yeah wait you didn't tell them where you didn't tell them where to message us I think basically experts pod but you can also dm us on instagram um I'm at leah thorvalson and my last name is just thor like the guy with the hammer and then V is in Victor, I-L-S-O-N. So it's just my name. And Lori is exactly. at Hungry for Results. Yep. Spelled exactly yep. the way you would think. All right. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on daily okay. HRV testing? So I think we have a lot, a lot of thoughts that end in the same conclusion. Oh, but before like, we get into it, I just want to clear up for anyone who doesn't know. We are talking about heart rate variability. And that is referring to the time between each heartbeat. So it is if you have a very variable time, that means you are ready to react. You are in low stress. You're good to go. And if you have like a very slow or very like consistent time, that means you're like in a high stress or in that fight or flight mode. Um, and you might be like struggling a little bit. So this is kind of a way to, you know, just like some people track their heart rate or, um, like their sleep. This is another kind of like outside the actual training metrics to track how you might be responding daily, um, to not just your training, but like to life in general, right? So you could have a really high stress like work week and everything, and then you could have a worse HRV, or you could be in a really good place and be very like mellow and calm and, you know, have a very good one. So I, I feel like I might be wrong in this because I've, I have used HRV tracking I have not used um, an app like Whoop, but I feel like, and tell me if you agree, disagree, or if you even know if this is correct. I feel like HRV is like the, what is Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is that kind of supposed number that takes all of your lifestyle training, your sleep, your stress, all of that into consideration. And then you get this reading, and the idea is that by tracking this reading, you can better plan on how your body is going to respond based on this number. That is what people say. That is the concept. Let me put it that way. That is, that is the concept behind it. I have. I was working with a coach for a while, 
and I was doing the HRV and I want to say first like it's okay I'm gonna say this second so I was doing it (laughs) because it's it's there's a lot to it (laughs) it's kind of confusing right I don't know. Yeah. I'm laughing so hard so I, know I was where doing it. I was doing it consistently, <laughs> and I honestly, for months and months, and I saw no benefit whatsoever. And a big part of that was my coach didn't realize, or and I didn't realize that most HRVs are taken where a low HRV is bad, but if you're using the Garbin. It does it the opposite way. So it'll give you a readout that says a Mm, high number is like high stress and a low number is good. So when I was putting in my numbers, it was like, it was completely opposite and it wasn't a good thing at all. Like it really messed with my coaching coach's plan for me. Another thing with HRV is you have to, I see so many athletes do it incorrectly that it's not valuable. Like, do not do it. You have to be very consistent. You have to take it. Don't do like a 60 minute or a 60 second one. It has to be like at least three minutes long of a test. You should be standing up. You should do it first thing in the morning before any exercise, before any caffeine. You should do it at the same time every day. So like, even if you do it in the evening, you are supposed to like do the same things leading up to it every day. So it's much easier to do it in the morning. So definitely do it in the morning if you're going to go down that path, but you have to be very consistent with it. The second you start doing it lying down or after you've had breakfast or you miss one day and then record, you know, after lunch, like you have messed it all up. So you have to commit. Yeah. So, okay. I, I, I will, I'll give a layered answer. Um, do I think there's any value or any purpose in doing it? If you yourself are going to fully commit, put the time into understanding what it does and, or for me, this is a massive, or if you have a coach who is invested and fully believes in it, then I do think it has value. Um, I did it for the second year that I was racing bikes professionally. My coach was one of those coaches who he believed in it. He knew all about it. It meant something to him. So I would input that data. And I mean, sometimes he would, hey, you know, check in from what to him, it, it was saying certain things, you know, he, uh, hey, do you feel okay today? Your HRV was this, that, whatever. Most of the time it was fine and it was normal and it just told him that things were tracking as they should be. But if something raised an alarm, um, he would get notified as soon as I input a reading and he would check in with me. So clearly there is value. That said, aside from getting great feedback from Kevin, like I have nothing else good to say about it because mainly two things. One, there's a number of different devices and methods you can use to do HRV. And Kevin, who is one of the best cycling coaches on the planet, that's not just my opinion. He's literally coached a guy who won Perry roubaix So, um, and many other things, but that's just like kind of one of the things he's known for because it was Matt Heyman. He coached Matt Heyman the year Matt Heyman broke his wrist and did all his training on the trainer and won. Anyways, so He's a very well-respected coach. And he told me that the best one to get was this one called iFleet, mm-hmm. not a sponsored post. <laughs> they wouldn't even want me to because I don't enjoy the product, but it had a finger sensor. So I would have to wake up and put this little cot on my finger. And the thing was so finicky. So sometimes, and you had to do like, you had to put it on your finger and then you had to have like this breathing in and breathing out. And I think it was about a minute, but some days I would get it done on the first try and some days it would take 10 and that would really set my morning off. Like I could wake up like, okay, let's go do my workout. But first I have to get my HRV 
And more often than not, it didn't work on the first try. So I just found it annoying, like so annoying that the only, when I, when I was not renewed with Canyon SRAM, I lost Kev as a coach and I, I wish I could afford him, but <laughs> without being on a pro team and at the time, yeah, anyways, so I stopped working with Kev and I was like, the only good thing about no longer working <laughs> So with that's Kev interesting I though, because I have HR. always read and I was told by my <laughs> coach that the, you have to put a heart rate strap. So even though like I was using the Garmin watch that has a wrist sensor, that's really not accurate. The heart rate strap is going to be the most accurate measure more so than like the finger. So that just speaks to like the degree of different programs there are the variations in the readouts. And again, I would get the same thing where it would be like error and you'd have to go through the five minutes again. And it really, yeah, right. Now you're stressed. Now I'm pissed off. So I mean, (laughs) and the other thing I didn't like is that it would get, the reading would get sent to my coach, but it would also tell you where you if you were in the green, the red or whatever, like if how, how your recovery was. And so if you're doing this every day and you need to be consistent, it wasn't a great mental thing. If it was racing, so it tells you like you're, yeah, this is actually like like the thing that I dislike about it the most. And the thing that I dislike, and I've never, I've never used whoop before, but I've known people who do. And I feel like they use it to have the excuse of saying, now I'm overtraining. I'm, I'm overtraining. I'm too stressed today. I have to back off. And I get that's good in some, some scenarios. And sometimes you do have to back off. But these weren't people that were, you know, professional athletes yeah. or doing any type of training load that determined like, oh, your body's overdoing yeah. it, you know. And I think it's just this trendy thing of saying like, oh, my body's in high stress today you can listen to your body without an HRV number. You can know if you are feeling stressed out, if you are responding good to this workout. And if something's telling you that morning that like your body sucks today, that's like the placebo effect of your body sucks. Like you're going to go out and suck probably. If something is like telling you, yeah, if something's telling you on your app every day that like you're going to be awesome, your body's feeling great, like you're probably going to feel great. And what if it's not optional? Like if you are competitive, whether that's professionally or just at a recreational level, like I understand that you want to do this to get the most out of yourself, but it, it does get less accurate if you don't do it every day. So what if it's race morning and it tells you that you're, that's, that can get in your head. Like, sure, you can train yourself to ignore it and you go out there and just like listen to how your body feels. But if you start feeling a little bad, is your brain yeah, going to take back to like that, that is oh, shit, my a mental right. thing like, that gets I, in your I, head? And when you're trying to perform, like you have to, you have to show up and perform. Like whether it's a race, whether it's your group ride that you're like really into and don't want to get dropped from, like you want to go into it like you're feeling the best that you can, not like something is telling you that you're in this high stress mode and that you need to back off. You know, like. I yeah (laughs) thankfully haven't got that question for another day but it's just like if you yeah (laughs) it's just one of those things that it's just like if you can use it for the good parts of what it's for without being too wrapped up in it and negatively impacted then I think there are benefits to it based mostly on the fact that my former coach, who I think is so amazing and so credible, believed in it. So I know it has to have value, but for me, it it was annoying (laughs) and I wouldn't, I I don't miss it. I don't feel like my training is less valuable without it. It's not expensive, really. So if you want to try it, I guess, go for it. Yeah, same. I would totally pass pass on it. I do want to say that the things that it supposedly tracks are extremely valuable. So without tracking that, like, end number that it's spitting out at you, like, just put more effort into sleeping better and reducing stress and 
backing off, like give yourself a rest day, like do the things, you know, you're supposed to do without standing still for five minutes every morning and having a number like thrown at you. Or journal, because part of mine, it was like, it would do the reading, but then you also had to input, you had to rate yourself. Like, how was your diet in the past day? How was your sleep? How was your stress? How was your overall well-being? So if you want those things, I think just if you want to get in a habit of journaling, it's just as easy and no technology required to have a five-minute journal you can get on, or you can just do it in a ruled notebook where you just write down every day how and no just i'm not talking about calorie counting i'm not talking about weight but how was my your perception yesterday how 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 is my relationship going right now like just a a note of five to ten things and then maybe what is your not your goal about what you're gonna run what you're gonna eat what you're gonna just what is my goal for what's gonna what am i gonna do for my your well-being you're like your overall wellness i'm finding at the moment (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah maybe that's our 15 minute answer (laughs) could have been a three-word answer (laughs) try journaling two-word answer (laughs) try journaling Uh, awesome yeah Yeah. Yeah. all right okay yeah Is anyone still there? Is anybody still listening? <laughs> this, yeah, this is a little long. I feel Sorry, like guys. we were long-winded tonight. But that's this is what you came for. Remember. Remember, this is what you came for. It's all good. And please come back next week for more. We'll, we this appreciate it. This is what it. you came for. Um, please come back next week. Keep sending your questions. If you sent in questions and we didn't address them tonight, it's because... We have a list. We, it's a running have, list. We, I won't say we have pages more. But we have a running list. So we will get to your questions. Even if anyone ever sends me a question that I can't or don't want to answer, I'm going to make a point to at least address. Yeah. And there are some questions that we want to dig into a little bit deeper. So we will consult other experts. We will do some more research on them. Like we're going to, you know, if you ask something super in depth, we're not ignoring it. We are making sure that we are able to give you the best answer that we can. Ooh, another thing I think would be fun and keep in mind that we're not famous. Um, I mean, I might be like within Pulaski County, but probably not even anymore because I don't run fast races anymore. But if like in a perfect world with people that you think we might have access to, who would you like to hear us interview? Like, or even what type of person, like, a pro racer, a local community racer, someone, a mechanic from a bike shop, um, a running shoe specialist, who are some people you would like us to try to get on the podcast? And you can throw out big names, but come on guys, like at the <laughs> episode moment, two, episode two guys, <laughs> we have access. We have, there's, we have, we have endless access to community cyclists of all types, but well, we could probably, want, like, we could probably, tour, I am probably get a yeah. world tour pro yeah but yeah just i'd just be curious to hear who would you like to hear from and i mean maybe you want us to go and interview the person in the meat department at kroger i don't know oh my gosh i'm just like imagining what you would interview that person like Like, how long can you compete with a ribeye (laughs) on your in your back pocket do you know that on a group ride there was someone like who pulled out a chicken breast from his kit (laughs) why why a chicken breast not healthy it's definitely that not food safe not at healthy. all like i mean like not safe horrified yeah so we had a we had a gas station stop i mean it's probably been months ago now it feels like it was just a few weeks ago but it was pre-covid but we stopped at this gas station everybody's getting the typical like waters gatorades cokes i got my cinnamon bears because they're delicious just go there go ahead and try it but my friend Scott comes out with like a styrofoam clamshell <laughs> filled with chicken wings. I mean, this was not the end of the ride. He's like, it just smelled so good, man. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> it so was funny. Amazing. I mean, this is literally like, we're going to have to dig into like, like what is our worst ride. 
pick up yeah. at a gas station or a mid ride stop in a future episode. Uh, stories. Oh, yeah. Maybe <laughs> how chicken wings help you perform. <laughs> I mean, I am from Buffalo, so I will not pass up a chicken wing. <laughs> I mean, heck yeah. Is that no, I'm probably going to cook us something a little wings? healthier. <laughs> okay, we are getting way <laughs> off, guys. Thanks for, thank you for tuning in. We got to go. It's time for us to tune out, go to sleep. All Bye. right. We will catch you all next week. Bye. Sweet. That was, I know, exactly. That's what I was like. Let's just keep it rolling for a little bit because that's how we're going to win our. <laughs> <laughs>